Just gonna run this dog to see if we can find any type of uh, human remains that are left. Listen to Where Secrets Go to Die, The Disappearance of Derek Hennigan. From the Detroit Free Press, a new podcast set in the woods of Michigan's Upper Peninsula. Available on Apple, Spotify, Freep.com, or wherever you get your podcasts. It's Twin Bills, the Red Sox podcast from the sports department of the Providence Journal. Featuring Red Sox beat writer Bill Koch, along with sports editor Bill Corey. Now, Twin Bills. Hello and welcome to this week's Twin Bills Red Sox podcast. It's Friday, July 6th, and I'm joined as always by Providence Journal beat writer Bill Koch. Hey, Bill. Bill, it's a pleasure to be back. Oh, I'm Bill Corey, by the way, sports editor of the Journal. Uh, And Bill is back from a very long and hot road trip. Uh, He's not with the team in Kansas City this weekend, but he was with the team in uh, both New York and a steamy Washington, D.C. Yeah, I, I joked to Bill Corey off the air that this road trip should be sponsored by Pedialyte, uh, <laughs> you know, because the Red Sox, between New York and Washington, there was one game time temperature under 90 degrees. That was Wednesday in New York. It was 89 degrees at 11 a.m., and I assure you it did get up above 90 during the course of that game. Uh, well, the Red Sox were able to uh, sort of withstand the heat, I guess. Uh, after a not-so-great performance in New York, they went on to sweep the, uh, the Nationals. Uh, as we sit here today, they are 59-29, and 29, still in first place, still clinging to that best record in baseball uh, status. Uh, so let's start, first of all, Bill, with the Yankees trip, which I thought was... Um, well, it was a weird weekend. None of the games were competitive. It was. And, you know, uh, as, a, as a Red Sox fan, I think that you might have looked at the, the first start there. Erod gives up uh, all those runs and say, okay, well, you know, he was off. He didn't have his stuff. Maybe, uh, you know, maybe the stage got to him a little bit, although he tends not to uh, crumble under pressure. But you say, okay, well, whatever, bad start. We got Chris Sale going on uh, Saturday and you got – uh, price on Sunday, you're, you're thinking your chances are, are decent here. Sale comes out and just and just is magnificent. Oh, he was fabulous, right? Yeah. Uh, and so you, so as a Red Sox fan, you're thinking, okay, good, we're, we're evened up, and we've got uh, Price on the mound. And then what happened? Uh, David Price in Yankee Stadium happened. Um, you know, David Price has made five starts at Yankee Stadium now as a member of the Red Sox. He's lost all five of them. He's pitched to a 10.44 earned run average. Uh, this one, though, was especially bad and, and probably, in my mind, especially disappointing, considering how good he had been his previous nine well, starts. that's the thing. I mean, and we and, talked about that on the podcast right. last week. I mean, you're right. With the history of Price in New York, I mean, it's, I guess it's foolish to say, well, he's going to go in there and have a good start. But he, he was so strong going in after the whole you know, mild carpal tunnel stuff. He got past that, and he's, he had been really solid leading up to that. Yeah, and it was you know it was difficult to watch in a way because you know you're just watching all of 
the popular criticisms, all of his frailties, sort of all of his weaknesses be exposed on that stage. You know, the criticism that he can't beat the Yankees, the criticism that he can't beat good teams, the criticism that he crumbles in big spots and pressure spots. And that was certainly one of them with with the series on the line. Uh, you know, and he couldn't have been worse. He, he gave up five home runs for the first time in his career, uh, eight earned runs in, in three and a third innings. Uh, you know, the Yankees just they teed off like it was batting practice. It was it was shocking to watch, um, not because it was price and not because it was the Yankees, but just the manner of the performance, the fact that a major league pitcher was a, a successful major league pitcher, a guy who's been good for a long, long time, just be taken apart like that by an opposing offense. It, it was stunning. Well, and it's and it's disheartening if you're a Red Sox fan because um, you know it's no secret that there are a lot of bad teams in the, in the league this year, and you know the Red Sox are among the the best teams in in baseball. But mm. you know the Yankees are too, and and you want a better performance by your number two guy against a team that you're you're probably going to be fighting tooth and nail with for the rest of the season. The the difficult part now, obviously, for Price and you know for any fans of the Red Sox, maybe even some members of the organization, is you're in a holding pattern now for three months. It's just, it doesn't matter what David Price does between now and October. He could be great, he could be poor, he could be adequate, but no one is going to believe what they see right. until he takes the ball and for that first postseason absolutely. start. And he, had, and he had a chance to kind of change that narrative. Yes, he did. Uh, you know, and not necessarily go out there and pitch a two-hitter, but just throw a competitive game, keep the team in it. Now, for their part, the offense didn't do much either. Well, they ran into Luis Severino, right. who uh, you know they beat the first time they faced him this year. They pounded him, actually, at Fenway Park. I think that was a 14-1 to game uh, in April. Uh, but the last two starts Severino has made, they've both been against Boston in New York, and he's been outstanding. Uh, you know, and you you see why he's a Cy Young candidate, why he's one of the favorites to start the All Star game. Uh, you know, did very much what Sale did the night before, what an ace is supposed to do. Exactly. Yep. Uh, so, uh, leaving uh, the Bronx, you headed to uh, very hot Washington, D.C., mm. and, um, you know, the Sox took care of business against a, uh, a in my opinion, inferior team. Um, well, one of the highlights of the weekend, of course, it was the, the Rick Porcello double off of Max Scherzer. So, <laughs> That's right. uh, if you were listening to the game, I think uh, Joe Castiglione uh, nearly jumped out of his seat when it happened. Uh, and, it, and it was fun to watch. So, what was the press... What was the, uh, what was the reaction up in the press box? Uh... Nothing short of shock, I, I think, would, would describe it. Uh, you don't expect an American League pitcher to have an extra base hit in a spot like that against you know, arguably the best pitcher in baseball right now, Max right. Scherzer. Um, you know, and the at-bat being what it was, Scherzer threw a cut fastball and a slider. Porcello swung and missed at both and was hopeless. If he throws any sort of wrinkle up there, Three more sliders in a row. Just throw them in the dirt. Sure. He's going to swing He's at one chase of them. One of them. Yep. They called for a pass, uh, fastball down and away. It leaked back over the plate. And Porcello, to his credit, ran into it. Uh, you know, the ball goes in the air. Juan Soto in left field for the Nationals looked like he was caught by surprise. He took a terrible route to it. Yep. Um, you know, when the ball lands in deep left field, 
the Red Sox dugout just explodes. I, they were hilarious. They look like a bunch of eight-year-old little leaguers on the top step. You know, big smiles. Uh, you know, standing ovation for Rick Porcello. And Porcello had a big smile on his face too, and, and he chuckled a little bit so, briefly at yeah. second base. He did. Uh, you know, normally he's a pretty serious guy on the field, but. I think he was reacting to his teammates and the way they were reacting to him. Uh, you know, and the, the reality of that game is you're going into it thinking, all right, Severino shoved on them the night before, and your reward for going to the next series is you have to face Max Scherzer. This right. is going to be another long night at the office. Yeah. Uh, and they actually, you know, they only scored three runs against him, but they did a really good job against him, I thought. They ran up his pitch count pretty early. They had some really good at-bats. I know Brock Holt had an 11-pitch at-bat that ended in a single to right field. Um, I thought they did pretty good work against him, but it, to have the pitcher drive in the three runs against him was just, you know, it, it was just oddly fascinating I think would be a good way to put it no it was a great it was a fun moment it was you know it, it was lucky I think I think uh, Porcello even said so after the game he just sort of got lucky he got he got a pitch he could handle probably not a pitch that uh, Scherzer would want to throw again and, and he just was able to get the bat on the ball and the outfielder was as equally surprised as you were I think yeah no he, he didn't uh, he didn't take a great route to the ball and, no, and he, he got didn't. by him and he did and he went directly to his left and the ball was hit far deeper than he thought, and all of a sudden he's going back on it, and and it became clear pretty quickly that he was not going to get there. Right. Um, you know, and it definitely after the game, you know, Porcello had big smile on his face, and he said, uh, you know, when Scherzer got to the top of his windup, I told myself, all right, start swinging now, <laughs> right, like right now, it because worked. the ball's going to be on top of me soon. Uh, yeah. You know, and and I mean, let's face it, you know, yeah, these guys don't hit all year, and and you know, they took some batting practice a couple days before but I think it's another reminder of just how elite these guys are in terms of athlete in terms of athletic skill whether it's hand-eye coordination or whether it's just their determination uh, I mean you got to be a pretty competitive person to reach that level of sports um, you know to be a professional at that level you got to be pretty competitive and pretty focused and, and I think Porcello doing something like that and then Brian Johnson the next day right. having a single that started a six-run rally in an inning, um, you know. Granted, he was a, a two-way player at Florida and a very good hitter, but I think it speaks to you know just how elite these guys really are. And I think we lose sight of that every once in a while. Sure, yeah. I, I'm obviously, uh, all these pitchers were very good hitters at one point in their career, be it back in uh, high school or college. No question. You know, and obviously, if you're a pitcher, then then you sort of you don't develop that uh, that skill anymore. But it doesn't mean that every now and then you can't get the bat on the ball. That's right. That's right. No question. There, there's no, there's no reason to think that, you know, when these guys were 17 and 18 years old, that all they did was pitch. Right. I, I mean, a lot of them were shortstops or outfielders or, or whatever it may have been. Probably the best player on the team. Uh, you right? know, question. Yeah. And uh, you know, the fact that they're just pitching now, it's still in there somewhere. Sure. You're, you're not just going to step up there and, and rip against major league hit pitchers, but. Right. It's still in there yeah. somewhere. That that sort of just base level of skill. It's it's still in there, and you know, Porcello unlocked it on one swing. It was it was fantastic. Yeah. I think last week John Lester hit a home run too uh, to, to uh, to help win a game. John right? Lester, so. who was a terrible right. hitter, he started his career like oh for seventy. I mean, it was you know ridiculous <laughs> right. when he when he signed with the Cubs. It was painful to watch yeah. his at bats. Uh, that was actually his second career homer. Right, right. So yeah. he's gotten better. <laughs> he's, had more, he's had more more practice in the National a League. A lot more. Probably yeah. a lot more than he would want, right. uh, if right. he was being honest. <laughs> uh, so uh, circling back here to uh, as the Red Sox move forward, uh, Drew Pomerantz had an outing last, uh, I think it was Monday, in Pawtucket. Did Correct. Not lo- did not look very good. Uh, we, ex- we expect to see him again over the next few days. Um, 
So what's uh, what's the long-term expectation, you think, here for Drew Pomeranz moving forward? Well, I found it interesting that you know Alex Cora the other day when he was discussing Drew Pomeranz's outing in Pawtucket, he mentioned results. Uh, and normally, if a major leaguer goes on a rehab assignment, they're talking in terms of health. Right. Um, Working on this pitcher, that pitch, yeah, and pitchers, stamina. And- pitchers are generally, you're looking at velocity and you're looking at pitch count. You're not necessarily looking at hits and runs allowed because they just sort of take those for granted. They just want guys to go out there and be healthy. When Cora mentions results, that says two things to me. First, he doesn't want Pomeranz to come back and sort of suck the life out of the bullpen for two or three days you know, by going three and a third and getting hit hard. Yep. And the second thing, and this is probably from Pomeranz's perspective, this is his walk year into free agency. And if he makes that walk as a reliever, uh, his value is significantly diminished. Even if he were to come back, say, in August and make 10 starts into the postseason and have one good playoff start, he'd be worth much more on the open market than if he were to come back to Boston now, be the left-hander in the bullpen, make 25, 30 appearances down the stretch, and then you know, go into free agency as a, a major question mark. Yeah, it looks like his walk year comes a year too late. Last year, yes. he had a real solid year, and if he, if he was on the market after last season, he probably would have... Uh, would be commanding a lot more money, but um, but what what does that mean for the rotation for the Red Sox rotation uh, going forward? What what happens to that fifth spot? Let's say if Pomerantz does not work himself back into a uh, a top a top flight starter, uh, is it Brian Johnson for the rest of the year? Do they go pick somebody up? What's uh, what's your take on that? I, I think it's probably for the time being it'll be Brian Johnson uh, only because I think they they might value Hector Velasquez more in terms of being able to pitch twice every three days mm-hmm. and give them two innings at a time. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, but I think you're you're going to have Brian Johnson in the fifth spot. Uh, you know, if Stephen Wright is able to come back and be healthy. It will be Stephen Wright for sure. Right. Um, but for now, with Wright on the DL and Pomeranz, you know, sort of a question mark and, and a bit indifferent in terms of his performance. I think it's Brian Johnson. And I think, uh, you know, his stuff is, is fairly ordinary. Um, you know, he gave up eight hits the other day in four and two thirds. He came one out shy of the victory in Washington. Um, you know, but the one thing that Johnson will do is he's going to go out there and, and willingly accept his role, be that as fifth starter, long reliever, uh, innings eater, type of guy uh you know great clubhouse guy well liked by his teammates someone who's worth keeping on the roster and and in some sort of active role um and i think you know at this point he's just going to be the fifth starter by default and they'll just go into the all-star break and you know if there's a day off in there they'll push the rotation up and maybe skip him um you know and and realistically you hope it doesn't go on too long but the fact is is that the fifth starter doesn't make a playoff start. Everybody knows that. This team is going to be in the postseason. They, they pretty much ensured that through 90 games. There's no one coming from behind right. who's even close. This is about trying to win the division and avoid the wild card game. And you just hope that the other three or four guys in your rotation will be good enough where that fifth day can be, I don't want to say a throwaway day, but you know a day where maybe the offense does the lifting and you can win 7-5 to five right. instead. Right, right. Uh, so uh, here we are sitting in July, and as you know, in July, a couple of things happen in Major League Baseball. One thing is the Major League All-Star Game. Mm. The other thing is the trading deadline. Correct. So uh, let's jump at, jump at the All-Star Game first. Um, I think it's safe to say there will be at least three Red Sox there, probably more, but Chris Sale 
And, uh, you know, if you look at J.D. Martinez and Mookie Betts' numbers at the break, it's really crazy. I mean, Betts is, uh, has got 42 RBIs, 21 home runs. He's hitting, uh, I believe he's hitting 338. Correct. And J.D. Martinez, 327. He's got 71. That almost looks like a an error. How do you have 71 RBIs at the break, right? And uh, 26 home runs. So certainly, uh, Red Sox will be well well represented. And I guess there's some some thought of uh, maybe Benintendi making it. Uh, Craig Kimbrell, who I'm a little surprised, uh, doesn't look like a, to be a lock, but may still find himself there. What's your take on, uh, on the Sox representation down in? Oh, by the way, you get to go to back to steamy hot Washington D.C. for this. Uh, I'm hoping they can mix in a couple. 80 degree days uh, in there. That that's still summer weather. We'll take it. Uh, Betts and Martinez will start and deserve to start. Uh, you know they they're they've been outstanding this year. You know I know Betts has, has missed a little time, um, but he's got an 1101 OPS, which is actually better than Martinez's. Uh, you know, and right. JD, you, your commentary on his RBI total uh, that's a product of hitting behind Betts and Andrew Benintendi, sure. both of which have been very very good to this point. Um, you, you look at Benintendi's numbers. He's on track to be 2020 again, maybe 25-25. He's got 13 home runs and 16 steals. He leads the team in stolen bases. Um, you know, OPS of 854, and, and someone who filled in very nicely when Betts was on the DL. He really embraced his role in the leadoff spot and, and did some damage up there. Sure. Um, you know, Chris Sale's a lock on the pitching staff. Uh, he, he's been terrific. I wrote about this today for the Journal. Uh, when Alex Cora throws out Randy Johnson as a comparison you stop and you think well that's a bit ambitious isn't it you know this is randy johnson we're talking about but if you look at sales numbers and i compared directly to johnson's 2002 season where he won 24 games and you know that was the first year that Fangraphs kept track of pitch velocities Mm. uh sales throwing harder than johnson He's striking out more batters per nine than Johnson. He's allowing less hits per nine than Johnson in that season. Um, and that was prime Randy Johnson with the Diamondbacks. Uh, you know, he struck out 334 batters that year in 260 innings. Sale isn't going to get to 260 innings, but he's striking out more. He's right. at 164 through 116. It's And still a sub-3 ERA. You know, th- his last five starts, he's pitched to a 103 ERA. Yeah. The Red Sox have only won three of them. Shame on them. Sure. Shame on them for not being able to to score for this guy. Uh, and it's another reminder that wins and losses in terms of a starting pitcher are, are worthless. They don't tell the whole story. Right. Um, you know, the fact that he lost one of those games, one nothing in a shutout against Chicago, and then the other one was in Minnesota. He left in a two two game after seven, and the bullpen imploded in the eighth. Um, you know, but they have a proper ace, a proper superstar here, and Chris Sale, who's squarely in the middle of his prime right now. How do you think they're using him this year? Uh, obviously, the the, uh, the knock, if there is one on sale, was uh, he sort of petered out last year and uh, kind of ran out of ran out of gas. Uh, and I know they're uh, sensitive to it and trying to kind of uh, avoid that with uh, their usage of him this year. Are you think? Do you think that uh, they're doing right by him? Uh, I think they are, and and you know, in terms of of what they've done this year. Last year, he'd start every five days. Right. Whether they had off days in there, whatever else, uh, he was going to go out there every five days. Um, This year, if there is an off day, Alex Cora has pushed the entire rotation back a day. Um, You know, there was previously a turn where he gave them all two days 
uh, of rest. There was an off day, and then they called up Jalen Beeks to make his major league debut, um, and that pushed everyone back a second day. Uh, you know, you look at his pitch counts this year. Um, you know, they've all been at or around 100 pitches. You know, regardless of how many innings he's thrown, there were a couple outings earlier this year. He only threw five innings. And, and they weren't concerned about that. Uh, you know, he's, he's been pretty reliably. Let's see here. Uh, he threw 116 pitches in a game at Toronto. He went all nine innings. He struck out 15 in that one. That's been his season high. But he's had one, two, three, four, six. He's had seven outings where he hasn't reached 100 pitches. Uh, so they're definitely trying to save uh, some bullets, you know, for lack of a better term, and try to keep him fresh into the postseason. Like, like I said before, when we were talking about the fifth starter, it's pretty obvious that this team is going to be a playoff team. And so you're already starting to plan for that you know, with 70 games left. How they get there over the last 70 games, we'll see. But the plans are in place for these guys to succeed long term. And I think that starts with Chris Sale and, and the way that they've managed him so far. And, you know, it's, it's not that easy to do when you are battling uh, for the division with the Yankees and, you know, you're within a game or two. Uh, it's not like you just want to say, well, we'll just give Chris Sale uh, some extra days off because that might mean losses and relinqu- relinquishing the division. Uh, so, so far, it's been, I, I think they've, they've, they've done a good job by it. Um, and I think as we hit the stretch here, uh, they may not be doing they may not be giving Chris uh, Sale as, mu- as much rest, but so far, I, I don't think you can you have any qualms with it. Um, other thing, of course, is the trade deadline, which comes in probably, what, four weeks? Three, three, three and a half or so? Yeah, July 31st, yeah. And um, the Red Sox did make a move recently. They added a right-hand bat in Steve Pierce. Um, uh, I still think they need some help in the bullpen. What are your, uh, what's your take on what the Red Sox will do come trade deadline time? Well, the real interesting thing for them, obviously, is is the salary situation and, and how they're going to navigate that. Uh, they're pushing up to the top threshold of the luxury tax, which is $237 million. That Steve Pierce deal included Toronto sending them some cash. Mm-hmm. They're paying some of Steve Pierce's salary, uh, which kept them under the threshold for now. They're at about $235 million. I would say just barely under the threshold, yeah, right. right and it, you know it it's not necessarily the money the the question is not whether or not the Red Sox will spend because they have and they've pretty consistently done so under John Henry the problem with breaking this next threshold is you drop 10 spots in the draft they're already going to be picking in the 20s because of their record and where they're going to finish they'll be 25 26 they were 26 this year yeah they don't want to go from 26 to 36 right you know the pick is low enough as it is um you know and and that's a real gap in terms of talent acquisition to go from 26 to 36 you know those are guys who when you bring homegrown players through it's a way of keeping your payroll down. You know, comparatively, if Mookie Betts or Xander Bogarts or Raphael Devers or Andrew Benintendi were on the open market, they would cost much, much more than they cost the Red Sox right now right. in terms of their salary. Um, you know, so having those spots in the draft is very, very important. Uh, you know, and this is already a depleted farm system, as we've seen. Sure. You know, they only have two prospects in Baseball America's top 100 or, or so. I think that might be according to MLB.com. Um, you know, so it's really important if you're able to sort of develop that side. And, and I think in terms of the Red Sox trying to make a move at the deadline, you're going to have to pay close attention to that. You may have to trade someone off the major league roster 
to try and get somebody back. This might not be, you know, a consideration of, well, we want a starter to go along with Chris Hill and David Price, like a real impact starter. Mm. So we're going to trade Michael Chavis. That's probably not going to happen. You're also probably not going to see a setup man, like an elite setup man, like Brad Hand from San Diego to set up Craig Kimbrell, let's say. Mm -hmm. You're probably not going to see them part with, um, you know, like a Jake Room who's hurt right now, obviously. But, you know, someone in that area of of prospect. I I just don't think that they're going to be willing to cross the tax threshold, uh, you know, because of the draft. I, I think that's more important than the money at stake here. But what do you think their top priority is going into the into the deadline? No, it's definitely they've addressed one of them, which was a right-handed bat against yeah. left-handed pitching. You, they've struggled against lefties, whether it be uh, power lefties like James Paxson, Blake Snell, or, you know, a little more finesse guys like Wade LeBlanc, who threw a very good game against them in Seattle. Right. Uh, you know, you figure if the Yankees add a starter at the deadline, uh, you know, the speculation that, that I've heard a little bit and I included in a story recently was, you know, what if it's Cole Hamels? And, you know, the, the Sox have struggled against left-handed pitching, let's say. You run into the Mariners for a series. They can run out multiple lefties, whether it be Paxton, James Paxton, Wade LeBlanc, or Marco Gonzalez. If the Yankees happen to trade for Cole Hamels, you pair him with CC Sabathia. Now you're playing half of your ALDS games or ALCS games yeah, against, against left-handed starters. Lefties, yeah. So you've added Steve Pierce. That's a good thing. You platoon him with Mitch Moreland. Maybe you put J.D. Martinez in the outfield. Maybe you put Mookie Betts in center, Andrew Benintendi in right, or, or flip those two. And you get all right-handed bats in the lineup. You take Jackie Bradley Jr. out. And that sort of balances that off where you can have Pierce in the lineup against LeBlanc. The other thing, obviously, is the bullpen. And I think this is where Tyler Thornburg over the next three weeks is sort of having a bit of an audition here. And I think if he has five or six good outings they might be less and less convinced to add a sort of premium bullpen arm. I think his performance is going to determine a lot of that. That makes sense. Uh, because you, uh, you certainly feel, at least I feel, that the Yankees are going to do something. They're going to add an arm, probably. Uh, that's that's the one sort of quote unquote deficiency they have. They're certainly uh, you know solid lineup. Here's the amazing thing about the Yankees. I looked this up the other day. Their payroll right now is at 166 million. The first luxury tax threshold is 197. Wow! So they're still they can add right. a huge salary twenty five million away from that, or right? And is, and yeah. a lot of that is because they've brought up guys like Severino yeah. and Glaber Torres and Miguel Andujar and Aaron Judge. Right? You can add a Giancarlo Stanton in a massive contract because of the way you develop players. Right. Very unYankee like. <laughs> very unYankee like, and something right. that you know Brian Cashman w- was savvy enough to do two or three years ago when he had Andrew Miller and Oraldis Chapman. Spun them both off, you know, at or before the deadline, replenished his farm system, and now some of those guys are coming through. He traded Aroldis Chapman to the Cubs. The primary piece coming back was Glaber Torres, and then he re signed Chapman anyway right. in free agency. Yeah. It, it was it no, was it was a great brilliant. move for them, sure. It was brilliant, and that's something that the Red Sox aren't able to do at this point. They're not going to be able to bring up three or four impact guys who are going to be able to help them. They've already done it, whether it be Betts or Benintendi or Bogarts or Devers. Those guys have already come. There's not necessarily anyone behind them. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, so in the bullpen's case, you're going to have to have Thornburg go out there and show something. You know, either that or you put Pomeranz in there or you put Steven Wright in there. Uh, their bullpen solution, like it or not, might be internal at this point. It might not be someone who they splash out and, and acquire. 
Well, it'll certainly be an interesting uh, three weeks here as we head toward the deadline. Uh, lots of different possibilities uh, for the Sox, uh, who goes to the pen, uh, who uh, who adds to the rotation if they do. Um, and so the Red Sox are in Yankee are in uh, yeah I've got Yankees on the mind they're they're uh, they're at Kansas City this weekend and then they come back home to face Texas and Toronto before uh, the All Star I believe they have one more trip right then then the All Star no, break it. oh Detroit is after the that's, that, that's right Detroit's after yep. the break that, that's the home right. stand into the break that's right so um, we will uh, wrap up this edition of Twin Bills uh, we'll do this again next week uh, on the. Uh, uh, Friday, probably before the All Star Game, we'll know who's going where, and we know that you'll be going down to Washington. So we'll uh, uh, we'll catch up with the Red Sox uh, and you next week, and see how they do next week. Very good, can't wait. Okay, thanks again, Bill, and again, Bill Corey for the Providence Journal and Twin Bills Red Sox podcast.